Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Daou, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Secrets from Settle Things Cycling Podcast with your host, Sylvie, and we have Sam Hansen, who I had the pleasure of meeting at in Kansas, Emporia, Kansas, at Unbound Gravel. Now, Sam happened to be in the same fairground campsite as I was, and uh, they were friends with the campers beside us, and we all became friends, and I asked him to be on the podcast because he has a very special place in the sport of gravel because Sam is a non-binary cyclist he is also also a math and stats library statistics statistician or stats librarian and podcaster from southeast michigan now i have asked sam if um they would come on to the podcast and talk about um non-binary athletes and how the sport is shaping for them they to come into the sport and how it's created a comfort level for cyclists or non-binary athletes in the cycling gravel cycling world so i'm really really uh super excited to have sam on here uh to talk about this and just to educate us all so let's get to it all right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Secrets from the Saddle, All Things Cycling Podcast with your host, Sylvie Deu, and the amazing Sam Hansen, whom I had the pleasure of meeting in Emporia, Kansas at Unbound Gravel. We were, I would say, uh, tent mates, I guess. There was a whole gang of us at the fairgrounds, and um, he was there, and I was able to meet him uh meet them and ask them to be on the podcast so let's get a little bio on sam because i think he has an extraordinarily cool background so sam hansen is a non-binary cyclist and that's one of the main reasons that i asked them to come here and we've got some really cool topics that we're going to talk about he is, uh, they are also a math and stats librarian and podcaster from Southeast Michigan. They started racing in 2014, but it was not until 2021 at Vets Park C, uh, CX, so I guess that's cyclocross, yeah, in Ann Harbor that they were able to race for the first time as their full authentic self. So, 
Sam has been also worked with very hard to increase inclusivity within the cycling community, working with a number of race promoters to introduce non-binary and gender expansive categories. And so I'm really excited to have them here to chat with us about sport non-binary in sport because more events are starting to include non-binary categories and how individuals might be able to look at sport as a place to find i want to say safety but just a place to be accepted welcome sam i'm so excited to have you here well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me and uh, for putting up with the multiple delays in our recording of this <laughs> podcast. I think it's going to totally going to be worth it. So I do have one question before we get started. How did you get into cycling and then into gravel? Well, it's like uh, gravel, but I guess specifically <laughs> gravel. <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, sometime when I was a kid, uh i decided that i no longer hated the idea of being on a bike <laughs> loved the idea of being on a bike with training wheels in my basement for a little bit and oh. then my parents tried to get me to learn at like four or five outside and i was having none of it none of it at all uh like i was having so little of it i might as well just be like a very northern province in canada um <clears throat> Sorry, sorry, just a tiny bit. That that's my one bit of Canadian humor. Uh, well, you are and... in Michigan, <laughs> so it is very close. Well, yeah. Uh, if if I go just a little bit more east, I can actually travel south to Canada, uh, which is yeah. <laughs> very very fun. Uh, and so uh, I one day decided, as sort of peer pressured into learning how to ride a bike uh, by the neighbors kids uh the neighbor who we rented a farm from a farm field from and so uh the neighbor kid's dad uh taught me how to ride a bike and then i tried riding my bike home from the field uh with my dad driving behind me on a tractor um <laughs> because this is rural northern wisconsin that we're talking about yeah <laughs> and uh, then on a blind corner, a car came around in the other lane. Like the car never encroached in, in my space at all, but they were doing like 55. It's a rural highway. Mm -hmm. And I freaked out, turned too far to the right and went right into the ditch. And then <laughs> oddly enough, after that, I enjoyed cycling. Uh, <laughs> I got a mountain wow. bike, did, did some riding and then sort of um, gave it up a little bit around undergrad through, through grads, mm -hmm. through the first round of grad school. And then uh, I had just wanted to pick it up a little bit more sort of halfway through the first round of grad school. And I got my first road bike. I'm like, oh, I like this a lot more than the whole like flat bars and like bigger tires thing. These go a lot faster. And then um, over time, I just, I started cycling more and more. It became my main mode of transport. And I got into cyclocross before gravel, uh, but uh, there was some gravel where I was living in Wisconsin, but not much. Uh, Wisconsin mm -hmm. paves more of its roads. Uh, and, uh, but there was a couple and I really liked them. There's a race from the state capital in Madison, Wisconsin, down to the Illinois border that oh. took off at midnight. And it was just a nighttime event. It wasn't really a race. I treated it like a race. I was, I was 
down at the border for a good 15 minutes before the next person showed up. And it was like, oh yes, I like, I like this going fast on gravel thing. I have to take a lot less corners and accelerate less often than I do in cyclocross. Uh, and then, this is true. <laughs> yep, very true. And then I moved to Michigan and I hear there's a lot, a lot, lot, lot more gravel. Uh, they pave almost none of the roads and the gravel roads tend to be smoother than the paved roads because our road maintenance is awful. Uh, literally the worst in the country. There has been quantitative studies on road quality. And now that I have a platform. No, no, in Michigan. Oh, in Michigan, Wisconsin's really? Wisconsin's <laughs> are fine. Michigan's are terrible. And now that I have a platform to share this conspiracy theory, here's my personal conspiracy theory about it. The automotive industry, huge in Michigan. So they, they uh, make sure the mm -hmm. politicians do not take good care of our roads. So we have to buy more cars. That is my personal conspiracy theory uh, that, that I've decided is definitely true. But on the positive side of that, terrible roads, great gravel, uh, really good gravel around here. So I started riding it a lot more. And then I started, um, I, I had an event here that wasn't really a race, but it's something my local club puts on, uh, Ann Arbor Velo Club, where, where I'm a member. Uh, and then the next year, I'm like, ah, well, uh, and this was, this was the year after Abby Robbins at Queer Gravel on Instagram uh, did their first Unbound. And so that was the non-binary podium that mm -hmm. made just huge amounts of news. And so I started following Abby and realizing all the amazing work that they are doing, that others were doing, and that non-binary categories were a thing, which I just didn't know before that point. And then I, uh, I worked to get uh, a gender expansive category at my club's local uh, CX race, uh, which we did that year, that was Vets Park. And then uh, the next year, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna start doing these things. And so I went down to Mid-South and oh, okay. um, took, took second place in the non-binary um, category after Apollo. And then after that, it was just, I guess the right words off to the races. Like I got uh, non-binary categories added to a bunch of the local gravel races too, so that I could race in those because right. I decided in 2022 that my rule was uh, no racing uh, if I am not, recognized as my whole self if i am not able to be there authentically i'm just not going to do it right uh, and so that's what i did and i was i was i raced so much i raced so much more in 2022 than i have so far this year uh but it was very expensive uh and <laughs> took up a lot of time funny about uh, that so, right yeah. race registrations travel bikes <laughs> repairing bikes <laughs> yeah yeah so since it was so expensive and non-binary racers with the exception of one who just so happens to be a professional triathlete but uh, oh. don't have don't have any uh financial backing uh, which it like i understand but also if we have these companies out there saying that they really want to support inclusion that they want to support equity uh well then guess what you should also you know try to put some money in the other categories and also i have a great pitch to anyone who wants to you know maybe sponsor an athlete I have finished on the podium on every single race that I have done since 2021. Nice. Uh, every single one. So if you want someone who's on the podium a lot, which mind you, I would not finish on the podium in the men's or the women's races, in the non-binary races, I somehow get on the podium. Uh, and therefore, if you want just a lot of like being able to say that you have a bunch of podium finishes with your racers, I'm a perfect fit. Just think. 
think of how many podiums you could get if if you just paid me to go race more races. I'm, oh, I'm not expensive. Funny. Have you I put just, it out I, there to many companies? I I have tried, and ah. most of the time I don't even hear back. Uh, some I hear back, but like they're on this weird like loop. You have to do it in a certain time on a certain year. So it's it's all a whole it's all a whole thing. <clears> but yeah, really, I just uh, and not even so much me. Like there's some there's a couple of non-binary racers who are going to be truly great racers. Mm. Uh, like especially if they can be given the money and the time that is necessary to do it. Because like I, I mean, a big part of why professional racers are so great, right, is because they get to do it as their job. Like they get to oh, yeah. focus on it. They don't have to spend 40 hours a week doing something else. Or, you know, in a lot of cases, 40 hours a week doing something and then 15 hours a week doing something else because no one can afford to have one job and live in the United States, uh, at least comfortably. Or not Canada a- or anywhere else, actually. Yeah, yeah. And it's especially now if you want to, yeah. And if you want to buy expensive bikes and go to expensive races, uh, you really have to do that. And so like, there's some racers out there who could be, like world-class level racers if they had the support. Now, I personally don't think that I'm necessarily one of them. I think I could be a better racer than I am right now, <laughs> uh, but I don't know if I'm world-class, but there are those who could be. But until we have that support within the non-binary cycling world to have people who can do it as their job, with the exception of, of the one and the incredible Rachel McBride, who Mm -hmm. does get to do it, but not even because of cycling. They get to do it because of triathlon. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and so like, we we still need the support. I mean, it's the same, it's the same reason that uh, some of the gaps between even speed between women and men's cycling exists is because men were allowed to do this professionally for over a century and women only have been able to start to do it recently. And so the structures and the knowledge of sports science and Mm -hmm. all of these things just don't exist. And that is a huge uh, speed boost. It's a huge professional boost. Like it's a performance enhancer essentially to have a history of uh, infrastructure and science and everything that exists for them. And then there's, uh, well, we get into all the just misogyny and hatred of of uh, any sports that don't have to do with men, but we don't have to go down that road. <laughs> we don't need to go there. But I did, the first time I heard about non-binary categories was, I think it was Rebecca Rush's Private Ride, Private Idaho. And that was about two, three years ago? It was two years ago. Uh, two years so, ago. Yep. And that was the year that Apollo Leonard, who is one of those cyclists who professional teams should be like sniffing around Apollo to the point where they're annoyed at the number of phone calls that they get. But Mm -hmm. Apollo also does not get, uh, like doesn't get any people uh, like reaching out and actively recruiting, which is, it's really everyone, believe me, like I'm saying this pitch, I would love to have support. Someone needs to support Apollo because they could be great. Uh, And and yeah, so, uh, I, I heard about RPI uh, because um, Abby was also there, uh, but that was after uh, Unbound. Uh, right. So that was after, okay. uh, after the uh, podium at Unbound. But RPI does, uh, have, uh, does also hold a record. They were the first uh, at least major uh, gravel race to have a full non-binary podium. Yeah, so, so I think that's yeah. what I heard. So. But um, yeah, and then then it started like more, I started hearing more about it. And I think that's 
that's also when it started really hitting um like non-binary uh athlete categories started hitting like the media and and more events started adding it to it like i added a non-binary category to my event nobody signed up for it in any of the categories but it's there and um i guess it's just like more people need to know about so sam do you find that now it's will be going on to you know year three that more athletes are coming out and signing up in the non-binary category like do you uh, find that they're starting to grow like those categories and with participants? There, there is some growth. Uh, actually, no, there's a decent amount of growth, especially in Mid-South and Unbound uh, this right. year. Uh, and particularly in the, um, in the <laughs> sort of shorter distances, um, like right. we're seeing a lot more, which is great because that's showing real community, community buy-in. But, right. uh, and, and I'm sure that this will come as no shock, there's still um, like a hesitancy to come um, out and race as non-binary, and and for a few different reasons. Some people um, maybe aren't necessarily uh, fully open with everyone in their life and in their community with okay. their um, gender identity because of absolutely legitimate fears, mm-hmm. uh, both for safety and for job security and things like that. And right. so they don't necessarily want their name listed under a non-binary uh, start list. Uh, right. Or there's the other people who are literally and understandably just scared of the people. I mean, um, if we if we look at uh, say all of the absolutely horrific abuse that uh, absolutely horrific abuse that Austin Killips has whenever she wins a race as uh, because she and she wins the races because she trains harder <laughs> and puts in all of the work, but she is a trans woman, which is a woman uh, right. and. And but because of her identity, uh, she just gets abused horribly whenever she wins a race, and it's wow. it's terrible because Austin is both a wonderful person but also just a brilliant cyclist, mm-hmm. and and when people see that sort of abuse, even if that abuse, and I truly do believe this, is coming from just a really small <laughs> amount of the cycling community, it's it's a right. small amount, but that amount is really loud, mm-hmm. and. When they're loud, it somehow falls on the non-binary and trans community mm-hmm. to yell them down most of the time. And it shouldn't mm-hmm. be on us. And there are amazing uh, people out there uh, like uh, Susan and Kate from Grounded, uh, the person whose name I absolutely, it's, it's going to bother me that I don't remember it, uh, <laughs> but the person who runs uh, Rasputita, um, Sally and Bobby from Mid-South, Okay. Uh, you, uh, Jason from Gravel Worlds, Jason and Jason's team. Right. Uh, all, Jason's I don't so remember cool. their all, all of their names. Uh, and there's there are a lot of people. The people who, uh, and then some racing teams too that that come to mind: Stamina, uh, B Cyclocross, uh, Melanin Base, not Base Miles. Like there are pl- there are groups out there, but we just need like the majority of cyclists to just tell these transphobic idiots to shut up like like that they are not welcome that it is not okay for them to be this biased and bigoted and harmful and traumatizing 
of, of people who have already had to go through a lot in their lives. Just living as a trans person in this country, in this world, is not an easy thing to do. And then to go and do something, be one of the best in, in the country, in your sport, in your, in your vocation, in your hobby, and then to be just, I mean, exposed to such harmful, vitriolic, yeah, terrible so, words. Sam, like it's not, it's not fair for them. Yeah. Can I ask you about your experience, like, and yeah. how long ago it was that you came out and and became a non-binary cyclist? Uh, well, non-binary. So, yeah. So, like. I, I would uh, I would hesitate on the word became uh, okay, just a sorry. little bit in, in that no 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 there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it it's oh. it's an interesting thing to talk about yeah uh, because um, like I don't think that I ever became a non-binary person I think I always was a non-binary right. person I just didn't understand it myself so or it's, coming it's, out I guess I yeah should. yeah coming out that's probably, like, that's and, better. Yeah, I I was in no way like bothered by what you said. It was just like I like it's <laughs> we it's can reword those it. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's those moments where we can have a conversation and show mm -hmm. that this is not that scary to try to understand like everything yeah. that's going on. It it can just be a conversation as long as everyone is willing to see each other as human beings who understand their own experience. Like my right. lived experience, my knowledge of myself is so much deeper and so much clearer than anyone else's thoughts about who I am. Right. And, and we just have to respect that, that people know who they are. If, if someone walks up to me and tells me that they are a woman, I'm going to believe them because that is their experience. That is who they are. I'm a non-binary person. I appreciate that most people that I interact with on a regular basis believe that. Uh, and so that is great. Uh, and so I, I have long thought that something was weird with me, something was wrong with me. Mm -hmm. um, like for a while, I thought it was just that I was queer uh, and, you know, sort of going, you know, in and out of all sorts of, um, of ideas of queerness, uh, but it still never felt quite right. And then it was the mid 2010s or so where I started to um, hear more open and clear discussions about the, the true, like, breadth of the spectrum of possible gender identities. And I'm like, huh? So that feels that 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 feels like something that's important to me. Yeah. yeah, like like something because I had long thought like, well, there are plenty of feminine things that I like. Like I, I like I like all of these things. I also uh, tended to be um, you know just as com comfortable uh, having feminine as masculine friends and engaging <laughs> in. Uh, you know, feminine activity, or, you know, quote, unquote, like social uh, activities that have been socially constructed as feminine, things like, you know, facials and, uh, you know, makeup, nail polish, all of those things. I was like, saying knitting. Oh, go, sit. go to knitting. Crochet. Yeah, I, I am not a knitter personally, <laughs> but yes, that sort of, that sort of uh, aspect as, yeah. as I was with masculine things. Like I have 
long played sports, both individual and team sports. And in a in an era, I came up in an era where those were coded very masculine uh, overall. Uh, and you know, uh, other other things like tech stuff, things like that. And so th that all always spoke to me. I was as comfortable, you know, mm -hmm. hanging out with the women as the men in my life. And because of that, actually, it got to a point where I was much more comfortable hanging out with the women. Uh, toxic masculinity took a turn sometime in the aughts, and I, I sort of mm -hmm. didn't really enjoy it that much anymore. Um, but I, I realized that, like, huh, this is maybe this is it. Like, maybe that is what has always felt sort of off. And then when I, I did more research, I looked more into uh, the idea of non-binary identities. And I'm like, huh, that 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 fits. And I and I I did what a lot of queer people do in their life. Uh, I tried it on, in right. in different situations, like in situations like a conference, like a conference for. I was in grad school for a second time by this point, so like conferences for that grad school or like at the grad school, like that was it was with my class was the first time that I used they them pronouns, was just with them as the second year of grad school. I'm like this is yes. This actually feels good, but there were still plenty of people in my life who that was not how I, the pronouns that I was using, because I thought maybe they would push back a little bit, or I just wasn't quite ready. Uh, like it felt somehow easier with this group of people who I had a more transactional relationship with, right? Like they're just other students in a class. I'm not, I'm not going to have a lifelong interaction with them. If I decide this isn't right in two years, they won't know any different. Uh, right. And, but it felt it ended up being right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, no, this is, this is actually who I am. Like, this makes me feel even seen by myself in a way that I had never properly felt. Like I understood myself more deeply than I ever had. And it was such an amazing feeling to finally be able to put a name, a word, an idea to this feeling of being slightly off that I'd had most of my life. And so I was able to do that. And it was just, it was just wonderful. Um, I didn't come out in cycling until two or three years after that, um, because while I would have felt comfortable with it, with the people on my team, this was when I was still in Wisconsin, it's a team called Revolution Cycles. They are wonderful. All of them would have been fine with it, but I didn't trust that of everybody else. Mm. It's, uh, I'm, I'm able to be out now, mostly because I decided to not care. Uh, and that uh, I carry a lot of privilege within myself. I, I pass as a, as a cis white man. I am six foot four, 240. I am not physically um, intimidated <laughs> or have a, any tendency to feel physically unsafe. Uh, mostly right. like yeah. without, without it being a large group of people who are all like angry with me at the same time. Uh, so so like I, I carry these privileges and with those privileges, I decided uh, at some point, especially uh, with people like Abby and Apollo already like really vocally being out there, like this is, yeah, I, I need to also be doing this so that if there's a kid like me who really likes cycling, but hasn't really thought about this, th everything else. Uh, and if they can see that, oh, oh, just a second, like, I, I, I can be more than, you know, you know, the, what a picture of, um, I'm trying to think, Michael Woods, Michael Woods uh, won the tour stage yesterday. I can be yeah. more than this five foot seven, 120 pound uh, <laughs> white man. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Michael Woods weighs more than that. Sorry, Michael. Um, Probably not. But, 
<laughs> maybe it not not at this point in the tour um not after that stage uh but like you can that there's all sorts of people who can do this and and we need this for uh people with expansive gender identities we need mm -hmm. we need more queer cyclists to just come out I, I should say we need more uh queer men cyclists to just come out as per usual uh there is a, a lot better open representation in um, women's cycling. It just says there right. is in general in women's sport. Uh, right. And uh, But in order for that to happen, we need the environment where they can feel safe to do it. Because mm -hmm. I imagine the reason they're not coming out is the same reason we don't have uh, many out gay American football players or soccer players or basketball players, because they live in a situation and they have a job that relies on th them being accepted by this very you know, dude bro masculine culture. Uh, right. And so they need the safety, but we also need it all over the place. We need it for, uh, you know, people who don't look like, you, you know, your pro cyclists, which is why it, like all bodies on bikes is such an amazing group. And yeah, uh, Marley Blonsky Marley is, is really, oh, so wonderful. So wonderful and awesome. And we need, we need more, um, you know, black cyclists. We need mm -hmm. more, uh, cyclists that look like every possible identity that exists because we have an overrepresentation problem right now. Uh, and <laughs> a lot of times without being able to see it, without knowing that there's someone else who is there, who shares some of your identities, I just don't think it is. I feel that it's a lot harder. It's always harder to be one of the first few people than it is to be like, oh no, there is going to be a community. And that's that's why I really have to thank people like Abby and Apollo because I knew there would be a community because they already did the work before I did. And right. so I'm just I'm just hoping to to help them and make this space bigger. I mean, Apollo, uh, I mean, at that point, it was not just uh, Apollo and Abby. I need to also name Casey. Casey was doing a lot of work and so was uh, everyone with Wild Composites. Um, and oh, what, uh, so Wild Composites was, uh, <sighs> RAR before uh, it was the RAR's uh, racing team, Radical Adventure Riders racing team. Oh, okay. uh, but then they spun off because it, the racing and the the other group uh, wasn't didn't quite work exactly. So yeah, Izzy and Charlie and uh, Lily, like all of these amazing people who have been doing this this wonderful work, making making cycling a space that uh, non-binary people and uh, gender expansive people can feel like they have a community which has been my favorite part. Like I, I, I go to these races because I want to hang out with my friends. Like <laughs> racing is fun, but the friends and the family that I've made through uh, like my queer cycling community has been- Well, I was uh, gonna say, I saw that like um, a big group of you at Unbound. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we know each other from these races. We get to see each other five, six times a year, and it's it's great. Like we get to we get to hang out. We get to give each other hugs, and we get to talk through all of the um, all of the bad things that we've had to be dealing with recently too. Uh, like it's it's always it's always good. It's always great. I should say to have a community that really understands you and can. Um, you know, can be there uh, for all the complaints and everything else without having to translate it. And I'm not, I'm not against having to translate my experience for other people so that they can better up, so that they can better understand. Like, that's okay. Like, that is work that has to be done. But every once in a while, you just want to not have to.
Like you right. just want to talk and just know that those know that you're among people who are just going to get it. And that's, and that's what I've been able to been able to build with all of these, with all of these wonderful people who I will name drop to the uh, end, end of uh, all my time talking about cycling because it's, because it's a, it's them. That is the reason I am here. It's not, it's not this amazing thing I'm doing for my doing on my own, uh, even though like mm-hmm. I ride on my own almost all of the time, like, like, and during races, I am mostly on my own, but it's, I'm not at that race by myself, even though yeah, I totally like, get it. Yeah. Those, the, the actual time racing is the, uh, like it's, it's lovely and wonderful. And I love type two fun. I don't know why it's a, it's a problem. <laughs> uh, but like, that isn't the thing I look forward to the most anymore. It used to be going to a bike race. The most important thing for me was biking. And yeah. that's not true. That's not true at all. My, the most important thing to me is my, my queer cycling family. That is what I care about more than anything else. So would you say, Sam, cause like we kind of talked about, um, how cycling or maybe it's just gravel at the moment is creating that kind of, um, community for, uh, non-binary career cyclists to come out and feel inclusive and supported. Do you find that, you know, that's really kind of like, that's where cycling or just to say gravel is moving because a lot of event organizers are getting on board with um supporting uh <laughs> i don't know is that uh, a big little, question little, little i don't know a, little column b because <laughs> well, you would know more than me i mean oh yeah i just got into gravel so and it's just it's um it's opened my eyes like first person that i talked to was um bethel i don't know if you remember oh yeah i'm a b b and i go way back (laughs) yeah so and then it was race and then so and then i added it to my category so i'm just kind of like following suit i guess um and uh and putting it out there so you know non-binary cyclists or athletes have a place to participate oh yeah and and so like it it's it's column A and column B, right? Like there are places that do an amazing job, mm-hmm. uh, and really, like I I really think the the absolute pinnacle of of all of the uh, places for support is grounded Nebraska. Uh, grounded goes so far above and beyond uh, to support. Is that a place? Uh, so no, grounded is a race. Uh, it's oh. adult summer camp. Uh, it's oh. it's adult cycling <laughs> summer camp. Uh, but grounded, they, the support that they provide is, it is absolutely top notch. Susan and Kate go just, they go all the way. They uh, make sure that they have an advisory board that is made up of people with all sorts of, um, all sorts of different uh, historically excluded identities from within cycling. They uh, provide actual support programs uh, for teams this year it was uh, for some of the native women's ride native women ride uh, group and so that support was not just like here's a free entry that support was like here are uh, people for you to connect mm-hmm. with here is uh, actual like training to come out and do the race and everything like that and they are they are wonderful so there are places like that 
Uh, and um, I've also heard amazing things about Rasputita. Uh, they and Grounded work together a lot. I just haven't been to Vermont for that race, so I can't speak to, That's to what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then there's, there's other races that also do a really good job of supporting, like Mid-South this year actually had a uh, media coverage of the non-binary, the head of the non-binary race, which was oh, wow. something that none of the outlets wanted to do. So they paid some of their own people to go do it because they wanted to make sure everyone had equal coverage. Uh, like that is amazing. The uh, work that Christy has done with Lifetime, making sure that like this very, very big, like, you know, sort of, uh, you know, name and lights sort of uh, race and event has space uh, for non-binary writers, making sure that uh, uh, people like uh, Abby, Casey, and Apollo could screen uh, their um, could screen their documentary that they did that they were able to screen this year. Uh, so, like that work has been great. Uh, uh, Gravel Worlds has a, a DEI panel uh, the day before the race, uh, which is also which is also good. So there are these races that do do really a good job. Uh, and there, there are others that, um, well, let's, let's pick one that's been in the news. Oh recently. yes, you had uh, one that you wanted to talk yeah, about. Yeah, uh, so I was never going to ride a Belgian waffles, a Belgian waffle ride race anyway, because I had heard some things, but now I'm definitely not going to, after their announcement yesterday, that only uh, people who have a woman on their birth certificate can take part in the women's race. Uh, and then there will also be a category for men. And then there will be a category that they call uh, open, which is for people of uh, any gender may compete in that classification. Oh, uh, and I should point out that uh, it is uh, the men's category. Trans men are allowed to race as men. Just trans women aren't allowed to race as women uh, because uh, yeah. And this is this is a uh, rather standard thing: is that trans women, especially in sport, are targeted significantly more than um, mm. trans identities of of other genders, um, right. other trans identities. Uh, and that, yeah. yeah, especially in and, swimming. And um, yep, like yeah, this yeah. is this is generally true across across sport. And so yeah, like this is that's an openly transphobic move. They're essentially uh, creating a list of people that that the trolls that that uh, BWR is currently apparently uh, trying to target as their main demographic uh, are going to be able to use essentially as a list to target for hateful abuse online. Go through the go through the uh, comment thread for that post, which is a lot of my wonderful friends saying, oh, that's terrible. Uh, how how awful for you to ruin waffles for all of us. Uh, and then you have absolute trolls and really awful people saying terrible degrading things about women uh, and uh, specifically trans women but just women uh, and so like that is awful uh, I mean we have uh, other cases where the Michigan cyclocross uh, uh, whole series added gender expansive as a category last year uh, largely uh, because of pushing from uh, my cycling club here in Ann Arbor mm -hmm. and like that was like that was wonderful. I really like that. Washington also had a state uh, in their state series. So uh, the states of Washington and Michigan last year had a state non-binary or gender expansive uh, winner, like a state champion. 
uh, which is wonderful. I I have a jersey in the other room uh, from it. And after that, we were really excited. And there maybe were other states. Those are just the two that I know of. Uh, Then we were really excited uh, to go to uh, USA Nationals last year. They had a non-binary race in cyclocross for Nationals last year, which at that time, I'm like, wow, USAC, you actually listened. Like you, you listened and, and you did something good. And I, I remember typing, either typing up or saying to a reporter at that point, like, I am, I'm really excited. I'm glad that this can show growth from USA Cycling, but let's see what they do next. Right. And then they did something next, uh, which was the awful, absolutely awful uh, transphobic survey that they sent out to some small amount of the USA Cycling uh, members uh, earlier this year that involved just bad survey design, like putting an inclusion uh, question followed by an exclusion question that used the same Likert scale. And you wouldn't necessarily know that if you answered five on one, it meant that you had to answer one on the other. Likert scales, like if you have a shift in the style of answer, like one has to do with like, how positively do you feel? And the next one says, how negatively do you feel? You can't have those right next to one another. Like you will never get the right answer. And also they made it so that uh, you could essentially take it as many times as you wanted. I know I took it more than once, uh, essentially to show uh, how bad, and it was never sent to me in the first place. I was never even supposed to take it. Uh, and so like they did all of this and now I don't want to take part in cyclocross nationals this year because I don't think that a group that does something like that without without um, you know thinking about the harm that it could do to the trans riders who are members of the governing body uh, I don't think that they should be able to like burnish their DEI credentials by having a non-binary race with my face on it um like, that's not okay. And uh, I don't believe that that is uh, a feeling that only I likely have. Like, these are, these are actions being taken that are also really negative. And it, it, there's, there's sort of similar ideas. The, the uh, areas of cycling that you would expect to be uh, the most, uh, the most, uh, uh, for, like, open to all sorts of different identities are the ones who really are. Uh, like, if you want, um, if you want great inclusion, go to the grassroots ones like gravel or like right. cyclocross, or even better, if you want, if you want more inclusion, go to bike polo and like alley cats. Like those, those are areas that have <coughs> um, that have long had spaces for the queer and the weird and the people who don't fit in society's buckets. Like that, those are the people who've been doing those things forever. And then, you know, oh, mountain bike, mountain biking is another one that like it deserves to be with like gravel and cyclocross. And then you could go to a place like road and you could imagine with, outside of some very specific like uh, grassroots crits and stuff like that. Most of the road community, I don't want to show up to races. Right. Like, uh, also, uh, I think that there's maybe been one uh, road race with a non-binary uh, category and I sort of forced that by demanding that they do it. Otherwise I would not, uh, I would not take part in it, which is generally how I've gotten non-binary categories added to races. Just be like, hey, I want to race and I want to give you money, but I'm not going to do it unless there's a non-binary category. So it's your choice. Um, 
And most of the time people want the, want the, they just want another participant because like they tend to be small grassroots races, yeah, yeah. But, like the big races, things like that, like whatever the uh, road version of Unbound is in the States. Like we have terrible road racing. Like we all know that at this point, but whatever that is, there's not a non-binary category. Yeah, I feel it like cycling the race road racing is kind of a little behind. Like I myself have not participated in like almost 10 years in a road cycling event, you know, but uh, I can see it being very behind like old school kind of uh, deal like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So moving forward, how do you are you? Um, well, let's say I have to ask you a little bit about your background, because um, so before we got started on the, the podcast, I, you know, I was asking Sam about his background because he's he's also a podcaster there. like myself. Huh? Uh, there. You oh, there yeah. um, is also a podcaster like myself and but a math and stats librarian. So. Would you share about your pod? Is your podcast open right now? Like, uh, so I haven't actually produced a podcast in like two and a half years or so. Oh, uh, but you can <laughs> you can find them very very. Yeah, easily. I saw. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I am a podcaster also about mathematics. So I started podcasting uh, back in 09 when I was in grad school the first time. So that first grad school was for mathematics. So I have a master's degree in mathematics, and uh, I learned while I was there that. I enjoy doing math, like I do. I enjoy doing the research. Graph theory was a lot of fun, but I love talking about math. And I, I oh. truly adore talking about mathematics and talking about it with other people, interviewing people who've been in it for a long time, uh, going out actually reporting and producing stories about it in a more in-depth way. So I've started a number of podcasts. The first one was just a, like me and some other grad students sitting around the table making pop culture jokes and being very vulgar, occasionally talking about math. So essentially what you'd expect- <laughs> Is from, that one still available? available? Uh, technically it's online somewhere. I'm not gonna give you the name of it though. Um, uh. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's just not, no, it, it was called combinations of permutations. You can find it at acmescience.com. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> I, I produced a, a number of different uh, math shows. So combinations, permutations was the panel show. Strongly connected components was the long form interview show. Did 60 some of those. Uh, I um, did a math news show, did a hundred some of those. That one was called Math Maths. That was with Peter Rowlett from the UK. Uh, that one was on Pulse Project, which I think is gone now. So I think that those those episodes are, uh, they're not lost per se in that I have a copy of all of them, but they're not uh, available online. So if anyone wants some of those, please let me know. I'm happy to give you a link to a Google Drive folder with them in it. Uh, and uh, I also did a uh, science storytelling uh, show called Science Sparring Society, where it was, it was just me telling a 10 to 15 minute story about fights from the history of science, uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, some scientists really, really have to work on their anger issues. Uh, and then eventually I started making relatively prime stories from the mathematical domain. And that's the, that's the show I'm most proud of. It's at relprime.com, R-E-L-P-R-I-M-E.com. -E uh, and that's the one uh, where I've, uh, I was successfully kickstarted the first two seasons. I've won awards from it. Like I was able to really like tell the stories I wanted to tell. Uh, and I've been working on getting it back off the ground. I had to stop during the pandemic due to health-related issues, 
oddly enough, nothing to do with COVID, uh, but other health-related issues, uh, and I haven't been able to start it back up. But I've told stories about things like the uh, AI that defeated the game of checkers, um, stories of uh, the math, uh, the mathematical notation uh, behind some uh, juggling uh, inventions. Uh, a mathematician who was surveilled by the Stasi in East Germany, uh, mathematics of gerrymandering, uh, the grad student who ended up developing the lottery for distributing retail cannabis licenses in Washington state. Uh, I've talked to musicians and uh, I've done comedy sketches. Like it, it's, it's really a uh, huge <laughs> have to wide- dive into that one. Well, uh, if it is, the whole idea is to uh, give people one positive memory about mathematics. Because mathematics truly really is more this... people need that actually. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I hate math. I know, but you have to work really hard at it to get it. And then once you get it, it I, I don't actually think you have to work that hard uh, to understand it. Uh, Some people do. I, so this is, this is my whole thing. You were exposed to, to some math teaching that didn't work for you. It is not Most that likely. math is it was hard. back in it the eighties as well. Yeah. So let's just think about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is, um, we have a societal and um, sort of subconscious uh, message about math, that it is hard and that it is this thing that only some people can get. That's not true at all. Everyone can get it. It's just that it is not taught in a way that many people can, uh, <laughs> many people can, that works for them. And there's plenty of research that actually shows that this is very true. Uh, so, uh, so it is that thing. And I think a lot of it is that people automatically come with the assumption that it's hard. They come with yeah. this belief that they won't ever get it. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, prophecy in many ways. I and, can see that. Yeah. yeah. And so all I want to do is to, uh, is to tell some stories about math so that the next time people hear math, they don't respond with the, I hate math, uh, because it isn't. You hate the idea of math. You don't actually hate math itself. You hate the way that math was, that you had, you were forced to interact with math. Like there, and you were traumatized around math, which is all like, I am not trying to dismiss any all of those things. All elementary school kids. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm and so I know I was talking about like honoring people's lived experiences, and I just told you what you do and do not believe or do and do not feel. Uh, but but really, I'm just trying to sort of change some of the language around it mm -hmm. because it is I truly do believe that there is something you hate and that there is something you are traumatized by. I just don't think it's fair to name that thing math. <laughs> Maybe it's for my kids. It's me teaching them math. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it could be. I could be the bad teacher. <laughs> well, and and so, like, with this, you have stories that you think of first instead. Instead of thinking about, like, that time where a teacher made you feel terrible about yourself, you, will, you could instead maybe think about this amazing fight between a computer and the greatest human checkers player of all time, Marion Tinsley, and how those two ended up coming to an understanding and even grudging respect of one another before the end. Like, yeah, like these, like this is, this is math. Math is a human pursuit. It's a creative, artistic, wonderful pursuit, just like everything else. And we remove it and minimize it by talking about it in this 
very rote mechanical way, you know, that it's mm -hmm. all like arithmetic mm -hmm. essentially, which it's not. Like I find arithmetic dull. I don't love doing it. I will use a computer or a calculator whenever I can. I don't, I don't love the idea of doing, I used to mind you, when I was growing up, I <laughs> did love the idea of doing two by two multiplication in my head. I adored it. Now I don't want to, but I do want to think about the patterns and uh, the logic and the structures that exist within mathematics, how the, the null set of the integer magic spectrum of fans is different than it is for wheels, uh, which is literally, that was, that was my uh, thesis. Is, <laughs> That's something that throws all off, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> thanks <man. laughs> and and so, so all of that said, I love talking about math. It's one of my favorite things to do, but it turns out that talking about math is not a job that pays me money. It's a job where I pay money out to do it, uh, which means that over the, like, sure, I kickstarted the first two seasons of Relatively Prime. I also lost a lot of money on both those seasons. I was never expecting to make money, but I was really hoping at some point I could get paid to talk about math because I love doing it. And I actually personally happen to think that I'm pretty good at it. Uh, and so I ended up having to take various jobs over the years. I was a data analyst for a software company. God, I hated that. I hated that so much. Not the data analysis part, the software company part. Uh, oh. I, I, did not, I did not love the culture of that job. Uh, and eventually I became a barista because I love coffee and I actually find it very mathematical. And so I was I was super into that and I, I found, I was doing my normal like mathematics communicator, which is a job that exists in the UK, but pretty much nowhere else. Uh, tutoring? Like I find it hard. Oh to God, like... no, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't have interest in teaching people math. I'm also not a great math teacher. <laughs> uh, I, I, I want to tell stories about math. I want to communicate math but I want to do it to a wider audience. Like just helping right. people like solve a problem in their homework doesn't really speak to me. I would right. rather be a teacher than that. And I, I'm actually better as an overall teacher than I am directly as a one-on-one -on -one tutor. Um, but I stumbled on in for this. I, I just did this search once a month in Indeed looking for math communication jobs. And I uh, I'm right never... now actually looking for jobs. <laughs> I, I I never I never found it, uh, but I did stumble on a listing for a STEM librarian at the uh, Colorado University Boulder CUB. I'm like, huh, a STEM librarian? That makes no sense. Like, what is this? Just a librarian who thinks about STEM topics? That actually sounds really cool. I should look more into that. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that is a thing. Just thinking if that's a thing. Well, if I abstract out the idea of STEM librarian, that means that there's probably other disciplinary librarians. So maybe, and this was me using my math, my math brain, you know, abstracting out a general idea to get back to a specific math librarians must exist too. And so I looked it up and math librarians did exist. And I got very excited because there was even one in the town I was living. Uh, and, oh. and so uh, I'm like, oh, can I come visit the math library? And they're like, yeah, sure, of course. Uh, I don't even think I ended up doing that. I just applied to library school within like a month or two. Actually, maybe within like three weeks of seeing that job listing, I applied to a library school uh, and I got accepted. And then a I went to library school. school. So yeah, uh, to be um, a librarian, usually, like usually to have the title librarian, you also have to have a master's in library science. Uh, or a master of library and information science. Uh, there are some cases where that is not true. Uh, it is something that is changing. Thankfully, uh, there is 
uh, uh, more, more cases now where people who just have a lot of experience in libraries can get the title which is something that I approve of, like uh, but in the academic sphere for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the more academic sphere, it is like, it's essentially a requirement, uh, though right. you can have a disciplinary PhD and uh, still then become a librarian without going to library school. Um, so that's another thing, but I don't have a PhD in math. So I needed, uh, I needed my master, my library masters. So I went back to school and got that. And then, uh, Actually, a semester before I even finished, I got hired at my current job. Uh, they did not hire me for my library skills. They hired me because I'm a mathematician as well, because uh, it was a it was literally a math and statistics librarian position, which is actually really rare these days. There's not that many straight up math librarians left uh, because there's just been consolidation. Libraries um, have less money, therefore they can hire fewer people, and so people end up with consolidated jobs where they're covering more disciplines than that. Usually right. the most common uh, collection is physics, astronomy, math, also known as PAM. Uh, so uh, I do have a PAMily, uh, which is uh, the group of other physics, astronomy, mathematics librarians uh, that are a part of the PAM community in uh, the Special Libraries Association. We legitimately call ourselves the PAMily. It is the nerdiest thing. Um, but as a this math so and- cool. <laughs> As a math and stats librarian, I support the research and pedagogical aims of the yeah. uh, uh, mathematics and statistics departments at University of Michigan Ann Arbor. And that means I, you know, maintain the collections. I make sure that we're getting the books and the journals that we need. Uh, I answer reference questions when they come in. Today, I had some about uh, formatting of dissertations as well as another asking uh, to get a, a book, asking to purchase a book. Uh, and I also, uh, I help co-teach a course. Uh, I'm teaching uh, like math communications things and uh, some information, um, information communication as well as like version control and stuff like that. Uh, I, <clears throat> am constantly at conferences and other things working on international and national committees stuff like that so i, I do i do all sorts of things uh, i it's literally it's a specific type of faculty job at a university that's really what it is uh, i just happen to be within the library that uh, i found that super fascinating that's i hope our listeners found it fascinating too because you know i one of the things i i always love is diving deeper into my guests backgrounds just to see you know what they're all about when it's you know when the cycling stuff is gone like yeah. what do they do and um well i mean that's only one of my two jobs i uh, because oh. remember remember what i remember what i said earlier oh i know you're trying to, to get sponsored <laughs> yeah because right now i have to work two jobs uh, and the other, the other is I'm a database developer for uh, digital humanities projects at the University of Wisconsin Madison. Uh, so like I literally work for two different universities. That one is only like uh, eight hours a week though. It is it is a much smaller job. Uh, and so yeah, I have done work on the only uh, database and archive of podcasts uh, called Podcaster. That's podcastre.org. Uh, and this literally is a full and proper archive of of podcasts. It's not 
all like podcasts. Of all podcasts? No, not all podcasts. Oh. It's not of all podcasts. But if you want to add yours, you there's a uh, add a feed uh, link right at the top of the podcast or website. You can add yeah. your uh, RSS feed there, and then Should your I? podcast would be uh, archived if you want to. Anyone who's listening, if you have a podcast, you can add your URL there, and we will start archiving it. That is entirely fine. But like, we only have so much space, and we had to stop adding things automatically because. Uh, it was uh, getting to be a bit much. It's only a few hundred terabytes of audio files right now. Um, and uh, so we've we've decided to make it a little bit more uh, community driven. Uh, right. And so people are just adding. Then I also am the uh, database developer for the Media History Digital Library, uh, which is a archive of old <coughs> trade magazines, trade magazines and uh, other cultural uh, magazines and books. Uh, that primarily focus on um, early Hollywood, uh, but also uh, we have some TV magazines and some radio and theater magazines as well. Uh, we recently added a bunch of press books uh, from, I want to say Universal, but I could be wrong about that. I'm mostly the tech side, not really the 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 cultural side of it. Uh, but we have a we have a bunch of uh, new press books that have been added recently. And so if you like old movies or anything like that, I thoroughly suggest checking out Media History Digital Library. Uh, it's media. Okay, hist. which one was that? Org. Media History Digital Library. Media Media hist. History Org. Digital Library dot org. For oh, Oh. Uh, the name of it is Media History Digital Library. If, oh, okay. if you just go to a search engine, type in Media History Digital Library, it'll take you there just fine. All right, Sam. So before we end, um, what is next on the agenda for some some racing? Because the summer is almost over. I know, uh, like it's not really over, but the fall is like a big time for gravel because it's such nice, better weather than the summer. But uh, and are you going to be back at Unbound next year? Uh, I can't answer that question yet. I haven't started planning my next year. I don't what? know how much. <laughs> I don't know how much money I have. Uh, I don't know what type of support I have. So well, uh, I know I, I'm going to be there. So I'm I'm the planning on being there. I really want to be there because again, I will see my uh, career cycling family there, and that is important. Uh, but I like I just I'm not going to try to predict ten months in the future right now. Uh, it feels like a really long time these days. Um, so next on my uh, next on my schedule is a local event called Watermoo, uh, which is really great. It has a river crossing that is not that is way too deep to ride through, and it's flowing, so you actually have to walk across it. Uh, some years it has been so high that it's up to like above my waist. Uh, so uh, there are people who have actually had problems. They've had to have other people carry their bikes because they are too short. Uh, to oh actually my gosh. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's a thing. Uh, that's so Watermoo, it's great fun if you're in the Southeast Michigan area or anywhere in, in Michigan, Northern Ohio, uh, like definitely come out. It's a great race. Uh, our, our race promoter. So this is one my club has put on. It does a really great job. And you get street signs at the end. Like that is everyone's finishing thing is a street sign, like a, a plastic one, but uh, a street sign from one of the roads on course. Oh, that's super yeah. cool. Yeah. So that's, that is a ton of fun. Uh, but then racing wise, cause that one, I'm not going to really race that hard. Uh, I have gravel worlds then immediately followed by queen stage race at Rebecca's private Idaho. So those <gasps> are my Rebecca's private Idaho. 
that is the last weekend of August. Oh, uh, okay. Is is that uh, it's also known as uh, Labor Day weekend if you're in the United yes. States. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Uh, oh. And and so those are next. And then after that, I am planning on a nice full cyclocross season um, and hopefully going to a couple of out of state races. Uh, right now, the uh, only out of state big race I currently have on my calendar is uh, King's Cross in Ohio, uh, down in Cincinnati, Cincinnati area, which is right. uh, one I'm really looking forward to. I've already been talking with the race promoters there to try to get a non-binary category added. They were very receptive. I am trying to reach out to Trek because like I have raced, I have put on races at Trek. I have uh, raced Trek many, many times because I was in Madison and like they are 35 minutes outside. And so I've raced cyclocross there a lot and I've yet to hear back. So if anyone has an in with whoever puts on Trek CXC, I would oh. love to hear from you. Uh, I'm also uh, reaching out to uh, Ozcross, which is the one in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, to try to get uh, because again i want there to be big races for non-binary riders to be able to right. compete against each other in that are not nationals because i really don't think again at least as of right now and i'm willing i'm willing to have usac prove me wrong and for them to make movement and uh help support and protect trans non-binary and gender expansive mm -hmm. uh riders as they should as the governing body for cycling in the united states but I'm not holding my breath either. So it might be uh, still am, a little bit more work in progress, right? Yeah, I am, I am actively working to try to make sure that there are uh, other races. And if anyone is interested in how I have managed uh, to, um, to <coughs> get uh, race organizers to sort of listen and add the category, please reach out to me. That's uh, a really can, good point. Yeah, you can easily find a way to contact me at samuelhanson.com uh, or uh, you can just email me sam at acmescience.com. As a matter of fact, you can put whatever you want in front of at acmescience.com. It, it will all go to me. I will even send out like interesting math books that I have doubles of to anyone who comes up with a really intriguing uh, before the at symbol. <laughs> Uh, because I have a catch-all email address. So literally anything that ends in at acmescience.com all comes into my inbox. Oh, I like that. So there you have it, guy, uh, everybody. I say guys, everybody. Um, you know where you can find Sam. And definitely if you have questions or maybe um, you're looking at adding, like you don't know how to approach an event organizer with adding a non-binary category sam is the person to reach out to um all his con um all they con their contacts will be in the description below um and yeah and so maybe just uh showing up at an event and looking for sam would uh be a good uh good way to go as well so yeah I'm 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 rather recognizable. Yeah, um, remember he's uh, seven. The, no, that's seven, five, six, four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, just look for the really tall person, probably with like a gaze okay cap on. That's <laughs> I like pretty much all you need one. to know. That was another yeah, one. Yeah, but and the really queer cool one only glasses. gets <laughs> the queer one only gets worn on race days. Like that is my race cap. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then you can't really miss them then. 
So thank you so much, everybody. And thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode and please do share it with somebody who you think would benefit from listening to our conversation. With that, have an amazing day. Don't forget to follow both of us on socials. Uh, Sam's uh, contacts are below and on Instagram and YouTube for the podcast. Thanks a lot, everybody, and have a great day. Thanks for having me. Bye, y'all. Bye. All right, friends. Well, there you have it. Sam Hansen, they, them, non-binary cyclist. It is becoming more of a conversation a topic in obviously in the world of sports and cycling and uh it's definitely a conversation to have and and for i don't know about you but it's becoming a learning process to really learn about what all of this means and trying to uh you know understand the individuals that it's affecting. So I'm really happy that Sam came on here and we were able to talk about that. And um, I'm, you know, adding more, uh, well, have a couple more people that I know that I can share with you and share their experience and um, that you can share this with somebody who you think would help. Um, And I like to say that gravel is creating a good and you know competitive safe fun space for non-binary athletes so for that have an amazing day please share this and follow us on socials take care guys or take care everybody bye thank you so much for spending this time with me on the secrets from the saddle podcast learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.